Amen. Good morning. We're so very glad to be here together this morning. It's wonderful to see you and thank you for your presence. We're so glad to have all of you visiting with us this morning and uh, we hope that your time with us this morning is a blessing to you and we also are thankful to have those who join us online each week and we appreciate you being with us. We want you to know we're always here for you. Please reach out to us if there's any way we can serve you. Well, this morning we finished the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote to the Roman Christians. We'll cover chapters 15 and 16, start our new series on the anatomy of a disciple next Sunday morning. And in these last two chapters, Paul uh, wraps up his long, heavy letter, this great, powerful letter to the Romans. It's a beautiful conclusion to the letter. It's a blessing to the church, and it's a picture and description of what Christianity looks like all in these last two chapters. And so we'll take it a few chunks at a time, but let's look at the first few verses in chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul summarizes his main point from chapter 14 right here at the beginning of chapter 15. And he says that the strong should bear the weak. Those stronger in their faith, and remembering what he talked about in chapter 14, are to bear the failings, as he says, to bear those who are weaker in their faith. And we discussed what that means last week. And so... uh, what does this mean to bear one another's? Well, that, that, that word bear always means to carry and, and, and not to, not to uh, just like they're unbearable people to unbearable people to put up with, but they carry that load because they're stronger. That's the, the image there. That's the illustration there. And so Paul says the burden for maintaining unity in the church is on those who are stronger in their faith. It, they carry the burden. They have the burden to maintain unity, to, to, to uh, work with and maintain unity among those who, with those who are weaker in their faith for various reasons. But then he says, neither the strong nor the weak are to please themselves, but to please one another. So it's not about yourself. It's not about what I want and what makes me happy, what I would prefer, what makes me comfortable, but it's about what is best for the rest to make, to please one another. And he uses this word uh, neighbors, which means neighbor like we think about it. And then in the parable of the Good Samaritan, they ask, well, who is my neighbor? 
And so that's, that's the same illustration there, but he's putting it in the context of the church. And, and, and in a sense, your neighbor is your brother and sister in Christ within the church. And that's the, the way he's using this now to refer to one another in the church, that we treat each other in a certain way. We're not to seek to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor, one another. Why? He tells us why. For their good. That's why you seek to please them, for their good. Why? Because you're trying to build them up, he says, in their faith. You want to help them be edified in their faith. So you're seeking the good of others in the church before your own good. And if everybody did that, then you see the picture that it paints for us for the church. And one of the most powerful ways that the church has unity, that Christians have unity in the local congregation is they seek to please one another, never tearing one another down. And then Paul points both the weak and the strong to the example of Jesus. And he says, both of you need to look and remember that Jesus did not seek to please himself. And he quotes uh, from Psalm 69.9, and, and Jesus is our perfect example. He's who we're supposed to be looking to, right? He, he's the one we're supposed to be copying. We're supposed to be copies of him. And Paul says, look at Jesus. He never sought to please himself. In fact, Jesus said one time, uh, I always do what pleases him. So Paul quotes Psalm 69.9 from the Old Testament, and then he states that uh, the Old Testament is there for our encouragement and to have endurance and hope through the Scriptures. In other words, look to Jesus. Even the Old Testament talked about Him and all the people of faith from the Old Testament. And you look at their life and how they held on to their faith and how they had encouragement from uh, being God's people and the, how they were thriving in their faith. And you gain encouragement from them. You gain endurance from their endurance in the Old Testament. Uh, you see, God and His Word are supposed to be our sources of endurance and encouragement. In verse 4, uh, 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 Paul writes that we are to gain endurance and encouragement from the Scriptures. And he talks about the Old Testament there. But then he says the same thing in verse 5. And he says that God Himself gives us encouragement and endurance. Do you see that? So when we put those together, we see that God and His Word are our source for endurance and encouragement. So when you're running on empty and you're wondering, why, why, why is life like this? You need to, want, you need to ask yourself, well, what source am I going to to get filled up? Because there's a lot of sources you can choose from. And the Bible's telling us that the source, the source for Christians to go to, is the source of God and His Word. That's what we're supposed to be filled with. Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. We're supposed to be filled with the Word of God and God Himself. That's where we get our endurance from to hang on and not give up. That's where we give our, get our encouragement from and, and we're lifted up in, in, in difficult times to make it through and to have hope, the Bible says, from God and His Word. So if you're running on empty, you need to fill up on God and His Word. God's Word and himself are the only things 
that actually bring us true satisfaction and fulfillment and meaning in life. Oh, there's a lot of things you can try. There's a lot of things you can, you can test out there. There's a lot of things that, that claim this will give you satisfaction and fulfillment. But nothing can measure, nothing can come close to, nothing can measure up to God and his word and what that brings us. Now look at, look at verses 8 through 13 in our next session section. We see that Paul presses this point further to the Jewish Christians uh, to, say, to show them that God has accepted the Gentiles among his people in his church. And, and this brings glory to God. And, and so he, he writes in verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to conform, confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And that's what he's covered in previous chapters. So Paul quotes from the Old Testament once again here to show the New Testament Jewish Christians to remind them that, see, all along God was going to be reaching all people. Why? Because the Lord's church, what God was doing all along was bringing us to where we are now and ultimately into heaven when Jesus returns to take his people to heaven with him. And and, and the plan always was that God would make uh, uh, give, bless Abraham people out of many nations. You'll be the father of many nations. And so the Lord's church is made up from people of all nations, all people. It doesn't matter who they are. The Lord's people are made up of people from all over, all backgrounds. Those who turn to Christ, who, who, who put their faith in Christ, who were baptized into Christ, who put on Christ in baptism, who have been forgiven and added to the church. Those are the people, regardless of who they come from, who are faithfully living to him whom he calls and make up, makes up the church. Look at verses 14 through 21. Paul expresses his sincere heart to reach lost souls. He, he has this passion to reach people for Jesus. Look at what he writes in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 15. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Again, quoting from the Old Testament. So so Paul is about to begin his third missionary journey. And we'll talk a little more about that here in a second. So we need to ask ourselves, do we have the same passion for the lost? Do we have the same heart for those who don't know Christ? For those who maybe think they do, but, but like we see sometimes in the New Testament in the book of Acts, they, they, like Apollos, they, they, they didn't know the way accurately. They, they had some more to learn. Where's our passion and our heart for those who are lost? See, we need, to, we need to have that. And when we're in a conversation with people, and I don't always do this, but we need to train ourselves to do this. When we're meeting people, when we're in conversation with people, when God gives us opportunities to take the advantage of that opportunity, make the most of that opportunity, inviting them to church, uh, asking them if they would like to study, giving them a scripture to encourage them, saying something, praying for them, something to start making that connection. Now, one of the things that we've been pushing that Matt launched with us this year at the beginning of the year was 52 and 22. 
Do you remember that challenge? And that challenge is invite somebody every week to church. You've got 52 weeks in 22 to invite somebody to church, and that's a great way to get your foot in the door. That's a great way to start that conversation, to start somebody on the road to coming to Christ. 52 and 22, and we're coming up on halfway through that, aren't we? So we need to be active in inviting somebody. Invite them to youth group. Invite them to devotional. Invite them to uh, our church fellowship that we're having. Fifth Sunday coming up. Invite them to times like that where they can mix with us and get to know, get to know one another. Now look at verses 22 through 29 of chapter 15. We see that Paul, his plan was to finally get to the Romans, the Roman Christians, to get to Rome. He had not been there. And, he, and, he, and he's, he's writing to them saying, I'm on my way, I'm coming. And, and he's about to begin his third missionary journey. And he writes in verse 22, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you because of his preaching uh, to the Gentiles. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And maybe help, that would be, that's further west of Rome. And to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, he's going to go on to Spain and they're gonna, he's asking them to offer help. At present, verse 25, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and I've delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So after he visited Rome, he was on his way to Spain. And as far as we know in the Bible, he never made it to Spain before he was put to death. Now, some extra biblical uh, documents do uh, say that he did go to Spain, but it does not seem that he made it to Spain. But it's interesting to see the journeys and what's happening. And he tells the Roman Christians that he needs their support for his mission work in Spain. So what do we see here? We see, we see churches involved in mission work and for praying for one another and, and supporting the work of the church. We see that the church helped support those in need. Paul was going to deliver financial aid to the poor in Jerusalem on his way to Rome to get help from them to go to Spain to do missionary work there and tell them about Jesus. But look at verses 30 through 33 as we finish this chapter. Right after Paul wrote this letter, he departed for Jerusalem on his way to Rome and then to Spain. As soon as he wrote this letter, that was the next thing that he did. And yet he didn't have any idea what was going to happen to him as he left. Look at verse number 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. He knew he would be facing danger there, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Notice 
he mentions God's will. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul had these big plans. They were plans for God. They were good plans. They were right plans to do all these great things for God. But that's just not the way it played out. And that happens in our lives sometimes. We have big plans and ideas, and we've got it all figured out. We're excited about it. And we want to give God all the glory in what we do. But life doesn't go that way. And we've got to decide, what are we going to do about that? How are we going to respond to life when it goes in a different direction? When life is crazy, when life isn't the way it's supposed to be. God, I wanted to do this for you and it didn't work out. Because when Paul got to Jerusalem, he was arrested It's interesting because there's this intersection between the book of Acts and the book of Romans that happens right here. And if you read Acts 21 and all the way through Acts 28, but you can just look at chapter 21 and you'll see what's happening and how what happened right after he wrote this and left, how it played out. Because Luke records what happened, all the events that happened to Paul as he took off on this third missionary journey, as he got to Jerusalem and as he got arrested and and then uh, had opportunities to tell about Jesus and ultimately... Uh, He appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen, and so they put him on a ship and sent him where? To Rome. Well, see, that's not the way he planned to get to Rome, but that's how God worked it out for him to get there on this ship where there was a shipwreck, there was storms, he was with prisoners, and and, and, and they had to... to, uh, uh, land the boat. They had to dock the boat and, and on, an, on an island and they had to make do. The ship was torn apart and, and, the, and he had to earn some influence with the soldiers there and that spared his life and the prisoner's life. And he got bitten by a snake while on this island. And there's all kinds of things that happened to him during this time. And he's, can you imagine getting bitten by a snake and you're a prisoner and you're shipwrecked and you're thinking, God, I was doing all this for you. What's going on? What are you up to, God? How's this going to work out? But he never lost his faith in God to to see through what God would be doing with him. And no matter what, he was going to be serving God in his life, no matter what happened. We need to stay focused on God no matter what happens in our life. That's the the first commandment in in the Ten Commandments, right? And Jesus said that's the greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart. That's what it means to choose in your mind to prioritize loving God over everything else. And everything in life is a choice. And so Paul was faced with that. And if he can deal with that, I think we can deal with the things that we're dealing with. That gives me encouragement and endurance like he wrote about. To, see, to, to do that in my life. Now, let's move to chapter 16 in the last couple of minutes that we have. Chapter 16, he begins to close out the letter and listen to what he says in the first two verses. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in uh, Sennacherib that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many of myself as well. Now, there's a lot there. And first, I I want us to... 
he holds up Phoebe, this, this hardworking, faithful, godly woman in the church who's been a, a, a faithful laborer, an example to all, a woman of respect, a godly, everything that a godly woman should be. It seems that Phoebe is this woman. And so Paul has sent her ahead of him, and it's very likely that she is the one who hand-delivered this the Romans. That's very possible. It was likely that there were others with her, but it seems that she was the point person with this group. Uh, she could have been by herself, but she's very likely the one that delivered the letter to the church, this, this letter to the Romans. And she's going to stay there. And Paul says, I want you to take care of her and I want you to help her in anything that she needs. So it's thought that perhaps she was sent there to take the letter and to make preparations for Paul's ministry when he got there to continue his work and then move on to Spain to do that work there. So I want you to see the value of women working in the church and how important godly, faithful women are. That's important to see because more women are talked about, women are talked about in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11, and he'll mention some others later. However, some of your translations will translate that word servant, and the Greek word is diakonos, and they'll translate that deacon or deaconess. And so that makes us wonder, well, was she like an official deacon in the church. Is that, is that okay? Is that uh, something that the Bible says is okay to do? And that's a good question. That's something we ought to study. I'll point you just to these two verses to help us understand um, this word. You have to understand when you're dealing with other languages and things like that, just like in English, context, context, uh, we learn about context clues in school, right? Context is important. So let's look at 1 Timothy 3.12. Paul wrote this, and he said, Let deacons, and you can look it up. That's the exact same word in Greek, diakonos. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. We'll go through this later on this year when we look at the pastorals. But let me ask you something. If Phoebe could have been an official deacon in the Lord's church, could Phoebe have been then, would she have met this criteria, could Phoebe have been the husband of one wife? Now, sadly, some today would say, well, sure, that makes perfect sense. And unfortunately, that makes sense to many in today's world. But we know, thinking in our right minds, Phoebe could not be the husband of one wife. Okay, so that helps us. That's some context. There's some context. Okay, Let, let's, let's go. In the context of 1 Timothy 3, Paul is talking about the official role of elders and deacons, roles of elders and deacons in the church. So that does not lend us to believing that a female could be in that official capacity of uh, a deacon, that office. Now let's look at Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And this is the first time we see in the infancy of the church where deacons are appointed uh, to their roles, okay? And we see that they appointed men to those roles. Now, what were these men selected to do? Well, 
there was Greek widows who were getting overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So he had widows, older women, getting, not getting food. That's serious. That's important. So you're saying women couldn't do that? Absolutely not. Of course women could have done that and done that well. But that's not what the point is. Because this is in the infancy stage and you're dealing with uh, widows who are in need, need to be taken care of. If there was ever a time to appoint female deacons to this official office, to me that seems like that would be the time to do it. But this was at the infancy stage of the church, and so God saw fit to make this clear that in this official office of the church, we, that men are appointed to this work. Does that mean women didn't do anything? Does that mean men are better than women? The Bible didn't say that. And remember, Phoebe, the first person he talks about in his closing is Phoebe. I want to tell you about how amazing and important this woman is to the church. Brothers, if the women left the church, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Listen, we don't, we don't want you to leave. Don't leave. Women are very important in the Lord's church. We just have to say, I, my, the, the, your decision to make is, do I believe God knows what he's doing or not? That's just where you're left. Am I going to trust in God? Am I going to believe in God? Or am I going to believe something else? That's, that's where we're left. If we don't like it, if we do, that's where we're left. Am I going to trust in God or am I not? Is it his church or is it not? Is he God or am I? That's what we're left with. But it doesn't devalue women in the least bit. They're of great value. He starts off talking about women, uh, Phoebe, and this great service in the church. So the word diakonos can be used. Paul even used it to talk about himself as a minister. It's the same thing. So context tells us what they're talking about. Minister, deacon, servant, even in chapter 13, government as a minister, remember, of God. Okay. Let's keep on moving chapter, uh, verse 16 real quick. We'll wrap up. Verse 16, Paul writes, Greet one another with a holy kiss. That was customary greeting in their day. All the churches of Christ greet you. So what does Paul mean by saying the churches of Christ? Well, simply put, it just means he's talking about the church in the New Testament. Christians, God's people, the people who belong to Jesus. And guess what? That's who we are. We're not trying to have some designation. We don't need a label. We don't need an organization. We don't need... That's not in the Bible. What, what we see is people who obey the gospel according to the New Testament and assemble together to worship God and do His work. They're called other names too, but he refers to them here as the churches of Christ. It's that simple. It's not a denomination. It's not, there's not a hierarchy. There's not a creed. It's simply the people who are trying to follow the Bible, who put their faith in Christ and trying to do the work of Christ, who've obeyed the gospel according to the New Testament. That's who the churches of Christ are. And it's, that, it, it, it's simply that simple and plain, just pure, simple Christianity is all that we're talking about here. Now, verses 17 through 20, as we close, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions 
and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Verse 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So in his final words, he gives them some warnings. It's like, I want you to remember this. I want you to know this. This is important. I'm, I'm, I'm done. This is important. Listen to these last things. And he says, watch out for those who cause divisions and for those who put obstacles in people's way. Now, this is not the same group he's talking about in, verse, in chapter 14. These are people who would come from the outside with false doctrine and try to infiltrate the church. And he's telling them, watch out for them. You follow the word of God. Don't be influenced by smooth, it sounds good. Well, that could be true. You follow God's word. And Paul says they serve themselves, not the Lord. We're supposed to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. See, when we're wise about what is good, we can withstand the false teachings that come our way. It could, because we know what's right. We can go to God's word and say this is what God's word teaches and it protects us from false teachings. But we're supposed to be innocent about what is evil. You know what that word innocent means? If I had a glass of water and I had pure, filtered, let's just say it's even filtered pure water in that glass, that would be good, wouldn't it? But if I were to find me a bug laying around, or a few bugs, maybe a little dirt, maybe some, some, some other stuff, and put that in the water and mix that up. Is that water still pure? Is that the water you would want to drink? Which glass would you choose? The pure water or the water with some bugs, some dirt, some leaves? Which one would you drink out of? You'd want the pure water. That word innocent means unmixed unmixed, pure. Nothing else is mixed in it. And he's saying, I want you to be innocent, unmixed about what is evil. We got to keep our lives pure. Someone said, well, that's too late for me. <laughs> I'm out. See ya. It's never too late. You can always get right. And when you're a Christian, that's what forgiveness and repentance is for, to get that stuff out of the, your glass of water to get that forgiveness and wash away your sins. And he said, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And finally, he reminds us that in the end, God wins. That your faith is the victory over this world. So hang on, hold on, don't give up because in the end, God wins. John said, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? In the end, God wins. And we have victory over this world through our faith in Christ. Do you have that victory over this world?
Is that where you stand this morning? Do you stand in a right relationship with God, with victory over the world, striving to live according to His Word and do His will? Is that what your relationship is like with God? Is that where you stand with God? Have you been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and been added to His church? Think about that. Maybe that's something you need to pray about or talk to somebody about. Maybe that's something you're ready to do something about this morning. We want you to know that we are here for you to support you as you grow, grow spiritually and as you put Christ first in your life. If we can serve you in any way this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand.